So if you nod at me, that means it's my turn, right? All right. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, you just don't know if today's slang. When David starts talking about people being sick, I'm not sure. Does that mean they're, they're well? They're, they're really, that's a bad sick. Okay, well, you know, with slang, who knows? Uh, but the good news is, I don't know if you stop to think about it, how fortunate we are to have so many gifted people in our church. Even to the point of people who stand here and fill in for Brother Dwayne when he's gone. Uh, when uh, Brother Dwayne first talked to me, he said, I may need you two evenings. And I thought, well, that'll be strange if he does. And uh, sure enough, you found somebody else to do the other evening. And uh, that's good. We're very fortunate uh, to have the people that God uses in great ways in our, uh, in our church. But I'm always happy for the opportunity to preach. Now, let me just ask you, last time I did this, do you remember what I did? Thank you. I went fishing. Well, I have no visual aids tonight. You just have to get by without visual aids. Let's see if I can create one. How many of you have ever been in one of the branches of our military? How many of you ever served in a, in a conflict situation? How many of you have ever seen a battlefield with dying and dead people? Yeah. Not many of us have, except what we see on television. Now, let me ask you another question. Uh, let's see. How many of you ever watch NCIS on television? Oh, there we go. All right. How many of you watch uh, one of the CSIs? All right. How many of you watch Bones? You know, that's one of those, if you raise your hand, you're, you're real risky because when you look at that one, it's, it's rated L, V, sometimes S in there for sexual content. Now, I'm not going to ask you why you're watching it. I'll, I'll spare you that, okay? But there, there's a common theme running through those. I don't know if you've noticed it. It's about... Dead bodies. And uh, in, in, in two of those, in the CSIs and in the bones, there's always a dead body, and they're always doing something in the lab to try to figure out what's happened to that person who's died. <clears throat> we get accustomed to seeing those kinds of situations on television. But suppose... You were in one of those situations and you saw a lot of dead bodies, for real. Let's say not one, but not, I mean, maybe not even ten, maybe a hundred or two hundred or three hundred or more. Consider a battlefield situation. What some of the troops saw in particular in World War II, when we fought wars in World War II in a whole different frame than we did beginning with the Vietnam War where hundreds and hundreds were on the battlefield. Or consider the Civil War, where there were more people killed in the Civil War than several other battles combined. And how they fought with those long muskets with bayonets attached to them. And, you know, it's like one shot and then it's the knife. And how many were on that battlefield? Well, let me create just, just, just remind you, you know that story over in Ezekiel, the 37th chapter? We got a song that kind of goes, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry. You know, the put bones, you know, all that kind of stuff. We're not, I'm not going to sing. I'll spare you that. Uh, 
But that's where we're going tonight, and you know that story. And it's not a good situation for, for God's people. Things have not been going well. Uh, they're in a bad spot in life. And uh, Ezekiel is concerned about that. He's praying about that. And in the midst of that, he gets this vision from God. Now, I don't know about you. I don't get a lot of visions from God. I get a word from God, but I don't get many visions uh, matter of fact, most nights I can't remember the dreams I had that night unless they're really strange. But I suspect if God gave me this kind of vision, I'd remember it for a good long time. And what happens in this chapter, beginning part of uh, Ezekiel 37, is that God gives Ezekiel this vision. And he sees a valley of what's called dry bones. I don't know how big a valley has to be to be considered a valley. I doubt it makes much difference if you're getting a vision. I mean, I'm not sure you're measuring out how big is that valley? How many dry bones are in there? How many bodies would that really be when you laid all those side by side? How do you count those bodies? But God gives Ezekiel a vision of this valley of dry bones. And when he talks about dry bones, you understand what that means. There is no flesh, meat, anything left on those bones. When it says dry, it means dry. I thought about trying to recreate that for visual night, but uh, as I thought about it, I figured I'd get arrested for grave robbery because it'd take a lot of bones to recreate that image. What's the matter, David? You don't believe that would? <laughs> oh, you're laughing about me being in jail. I know. You think that'd be funny. Oh. But that's what's going on here. And he sees all these bones. I mean, there's no meat left. They are bleached white by the sun. And in the midst of that, God speaks to him about what's going to happen. And basically he says, Ezekiel, here's what's going to happen. See those bones? I want you to know that I am a mighty God. And I can raise up an army from these dry bones. And God began to give him the vision of those bones coming to life. And that old, that old Negro spiritual about dry bones begins to really take form in Ezekiel's mind as he begins to see those bones not only stand up, but to flesh out. I don't know about you, but it's an image I'd remembered a long time had I been Ezekiel. But more than that, with God giving me that vision, it had been something that I'd have looked for and watched for the fulfillment of. So let's take a look at this just for a minute. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Holy Spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them, there are a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. 
then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath came The breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you in from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will sell you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a great God. And you remind us, if we will only listen and observe, there is nothing that is too hard for you. And Father, as we gather here tonight, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we don't pay much attention to manned space flights anymore. They become pretty much normal for us. We've seen so many of them in our lifetime, and in the midst of everything else going on, they don't make a whole lot of news. I mean, in the midst of an earthquake and a nuclear problem in Japan, a spaceship, take, a, a, a shuttle taking off or landing would not be much news. In the midst of what's going on in the Middle East, the, the space shuttle landing or taking off would not be much news. And even in the midst of our own people trying to get to Mali tonight, what happens with the space shuttle would not be a whole lot of surprise or news for us. But for you who can go back to that time when, uh, in the yesteryear of long ago, before the shuttle, when we had capsules, there was a phrase that command hated to hear, and it went something like this, Houston, we have a problem. And if Houston heard that and it got televised, picked up by the news commentators, everybody in the United States who was in hearing of a radio or a television heard about Houston, we had a problem. It signified that there were things that were going on that were not normal, and only were they not normal, they were probably not good. Maybe you and I need to understand today that we have a problem. And I'm wondering if we couldn't take a page out of this account tonight that maybe we are dead bones that need to be revived. 
I uh, meet with pastors. There's a group of pastors who meet every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. I don't know why I set it for 8 o'clock. I should have set it for 8.30. I'd have got there a lot better. 8 o'clock really pushes me. But we, we meet every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, we eat healthy food. Orange juice, donuts. Orange juice, that's healthy, right? Orange juice is healthy. And uh, I have... I have Diet right, it has no calories, no carbs, no, no sugar, no salt, nothing in it. I, and uh, so I'm eating healthy, let me see, orange juice, soda, donuts. Two-thirds of what I eat is healthy. <laughs> no, Judy's shaking her head no on that. But we meet, for, we meet to pray for revival, and that's the only thing on our, on our minds there. We, we, we eat quickly, and then there's some discussion about what's been going on, and we talk about revival and what we believe God may be, we may be observing God doing in our, in our association in the churches. And then we pray. And I have to be honest with you, uh, we generally don't pray for sick people. We don't pray for government people, politicians, leaders. We don't pray for our armed forces. We pray for revival. With the realization that revival is not about the lost, revival is about the redeemed. You can't revive what hasn't been vived. Can't revive what hasn't been vived. And the lost people haven't been vived yet. And so... We can't revive them. But we pray for revival in our land. Why? Well, let me just offer you this as I think about this passage of Scripture, how God raised up the people of Israel. And if you go on, uh, there was a reunification of Israel, and Israel once again, once again became the nation of God, at least temporarily, until they messed up again. It's a story of mankind, isn't it? But when things were so bad for them, when things looked the, the worst... Ezekiel was concerned about the nation of Israel. And he prayed for revival. And God says, tell you what I'm going to do. See this valley of dry bones? I'm going to raise up an army. And we'll reclaim Israel again. And really what we're praying for on Wednesdays as we pray is that God will raise up an army in our churches. That we'll have revival again in the churches, in our association. As I thought about that, here's what I decided as I looked at this passage. First of all, there is a sameness in our churches that is not good. Uh, we've got 31 churches in our association, and uh, uh, unless your pastor asked me or Judy asked me to say something like she did a couple weeks ago when we were doing the uh, associational missions offering, I'm usually not here on Sundays because Sundays I'm out in the churches visiting, and, and uh, it takes me about seven months to do a church Sunday morning, Sunday night, different churches Sunday night generally, to do all, of, all 31 of our churches. And uh, as I go through them, by and large, there is a sameness in our churches. I can pretty much, you know, know what's going to happen and what's going on in all of our churches. It's kind of like that old expression, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. It's kind of like that. And here's what I've discovered. There's a lack of concern for the lost, for the unchurched, for the inactive in our churches. We get real concerned about other things. We get concerned about, oh, uh, let's see, 
Let's call them the three B's, like the Better Business Bureau. Three B's. How about budgets, buildings, and Babel? We do a lot of talking. We talk a lot about what's going on in our lives. I mean, we'll talk about our kids. We'll talk about, for those of us who have them, we'll talk long about our grandkids. And uh, you ever notice when you talk about your kids, you may talk about some some things you wish they were doing or some problems or how you would talk about grandkids. They're just perfect. They don't have any problems. We talk about those kinds of things. We talk about work. We talk about the weather. We talk about all those kinds of things. We, we, we worry about the budget, whether or not we're going to meet expenses. We worry about uh, uh, our buildings, how we're going to maintain them, and whether or not we're using them for the wrong, wrong occasion, or whether somebody's running through the building, we're tearing up the building, or what's going on with the buildings. We worry about all those kinds of things. And it seems that that becomes the focus of our church instead of concern for the lost, the unchurched. And the inactive. Here's what I can tell you. If I took our church role, and wouldn't be surprised to you, I'll bet there's a whole bunch of people who haven't darkened the doors of our church that are on our name that are on our church role and haven't darkened in. I'd like to say weeks, but dare I say months and years? And it begs the question: Do we really care? Do we really care? And there are all kinds of people on our Sunday school roll, some of them members and some of them not. And I suspect that the same thing is true about that role that is true of our church role. There's a whole lot of people whose names are on there who haven't been there in a long time. And the question is, do we really care? I can tell you this as a, as a parent whose children live away. Uh, I care if I don't hear from them as often as I think I should. My poor wife is suffering. I've had to make several trips uh, in and out of St. Louis since Christmas. And so I've seen the grandchildren several times. My wife's not been up since Christmas. And I get to gloat a little bit about that when I come home and tell her how great the kids are doing, the grandkids are doing. And uh, so this week, she gets to go up. We're going to go up and take a long drive to St. Louis for an hour of Grandparents' Day at a school. What's that tell you? Tell you what it tells you. We're concerned, and we love our granddaughter. And the question is, why do we get so concerned about budgets and buildings and, and fellowship, the babble that goes on in church, and yet somehow in the churches across our land, in the churches in our association, the churches in our, in our town, in our own church, we don't seem all that concerned that people's relationship with Jesus is either non-existent or broken. There's no lament at the altar for the lost. We just don't seem real concerned about that. There's no lament in the class for the lost. There's no commitment to reaching people. There's a sameness in our churches, and it's not just ours. It's a lot of churches. That's why I said churches. Secondly, our present concern for reaching people, if we've got a concern, is summed up in two statements. 
If I said, why should we reach people? We give the stock answer because the Great Commission tells us to do so. Can I, can I say to you that's a little bit like saying I have to do it because mom and dad say so? And what that really means is I really don't want to do it. But mom and dad say I'm supposed to do it, and so I've got to do it. Go clean your rooms up. Well, okay. They really don't want to do it. But mom, dad said they had to, so they do it. And that's how some of us approach this idea of being concerned about the lost people, about reaching people. And then there's another way we express that by simply saying, you know what? Wouldn't it be great to see the pews filled in here on Sunday evenings? Man, that would be great. And the vision becomes filled pews and not spiritual condition. It seems like those two things drive us in our, when we say we're concerned for reaching people, it's, it's about filling the pews or it's about, well, we have to because the Great Commission says so. God expects us of it, of us, expects it of us. So we have to do it. And that's why, people, our dead bones spiritually need to be revived. We need to to once again breathe some life into our bones to allow the Holy Spirit to say to us, Hey, don't you know why I put you here? Why I've allowed you to live in this earth? To be my hands, to be my feet, to share the good news with people who need desperately to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I've often said we'd probably stay a lot closer to the Lord if he'd remove the blinders from our eyes and allow us to see the demons surrounding us. And I wonder if you and I really had a vision of the plight of the lost, unchurched, if it wouldn't change our concern for them. You see, for the most part, I'm afraid we see them as basically good people who need to be in church instead of messed up people who are going to die and spend eternity separated from God, and just so you know, I'm not liberal, in hell. Okay? What would happen if God gave us a vision of what it was really like to be eternally separated from Him? Some of us have been Christians so long that we've forgotten. Some of us, if you're like me, I accepted Christ when I was seven years old. And I'm not sure I knew a whole lot about what it meant to spend eternity in hell. I'm not sure I had a real good grasp of what it meant to be separated from God. I just know I needed Him. And maybe we need to be reminded, we need a vision like this to remind us that people are dying. Every day without Jesus. Every day they are going to hell. And what you and I need to do is we need to believe that God can raise up an army 
of believers who will take seriously God's command to reach people because we see the desperate need that they have to know Jesus. We need to believe that God can do it. We need to become people with a burden who really weeps over the lostness of mankind. And if that happens, if, if we believe that God can change our hearts and lives and give us a burden for the lost, and we allow God to do it, we'll become a people with a purpose. Whose sole desire is not just together to fellowship with each other, to, to enjoy the time of worship that we have, to just enjoy the time of God's Word, but who becomes so in love with God and His call upon our lives, so focused on the mission that He's placed before us, that it's not looking forward to getting to church, to worship, that drives us through the week. But it's the, the passion for sharing Christ that drives us from the buildings on Sunday morning into our communities to tell people about Jesus. You see, we need to turn the passion around. Instead of getting here to worship... And that driving us Monday through Saturday, what ought to happen when we leave this place is we ought to be so invigorated and renewed in our relationship with Christ and so dedicated to the, to the task He's got before us and so full with the passion that Jesus had and the compassion for the lost that we can hardly wait to get out the doors to tell people about Jesus. Now... The reality is, not everybody can go to Mali or Nicaragua or some other far-off place. A whole lot of you can go who haven't gone, but not everybody can go. But you know, I'm reasonably certain. Now let's go back. I am confident that you can tell people in your community. Why am I confident that you can? Because, frankly, if you can't, God doesn't need to leave you here. Take you home to be with Him tonight. But as long as there is somebody in your, what we call, circle or sphere of influence who needs to know Jesus, you have a mission. It's not just those who give their lives to full-time Christian ministry and go overseas to serve as missionaries or someplace in North America or like up to Canada who are missionaries. But the reality is each and every one of us are missionaries. God has called us to be on mission with Him to tell others about Jesus. And it's not just about giving to Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon and state missions and associational missions, though all those things are important because they help us do the work of missions throughout our world. But it's about being involved in missions where you live and where you work. Let me ask you this. Why not pray that God give you a vision that God allowed, allow you to see the spiritual plight, the spiritual condition of the lost people 
in your circle of influence. Those in your family. Those you work with. Those you go to school with. Where you shop for groceries. Where you get your hair done. Every time I go to Stephanie, I ask her if I can have a perm. She just kind of laughs and says no. I don't understand that. I'm just going to ask her to curl it next time I go in. But what would happen if we begin to see people with the eyes of Jesus and begin to see God put meat on our bones, to put flesh on the meat of our lives so that we become an army passionate about sharing Christ. Well, if God could do it in Ezekiel's day, He can do it in ours. He can take churches across our land, churches in our association, churches in our in our city. He can even take our church and put some flesh, some meat and some flesh on some dry spiritual bones and raise up an army that can take the land for Jesus. Can God raise an army? I think He can. You see, I, I think when Ezekiel began to pray about this matter and became burdened about it, and God gave him this vision and said, Look, see this valley of dry bones? I'm going to raise these up and watch and, and prophesy. And every time something would happen, when the bones first stood up, Ezekiel went, Yes! And when they began to have muscle and sinew on them, it, Yes! When they began to put flesh on they went, Yes! And if they begin to line up in columns for, in battle formation, I suspect that Ezekiel was there saying, yes. And when you and I ask the question, can God raise up an army from these spiritual dry bones of believers who have lost their vision, lost their passion for sharing Christ with their world? Our response ought to be, yes. 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 He can. And the question is, are you praying that in your life? Are you asking God to bring revival to His people? To raise up an army that will change our world. To raise up an army that will change Harrisburg. What would happen if we had, if we had an army of spiritually revived believers in our churches? Well, last year, for the first time in the 17 years I've been here, we dropped under 200 baptisms in our association for a year's time. If we truly had an army who got revived, dare I say that we could have 200 baptisms in every church in our association. Even in our church, we might have three, four, or 500 baptisms We have to hire a staff member just to baptize everybody. God can do it. If we'll pray for God to send revival 
and to raise up an army of his people who are serious about sharing the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, you remind us that nothing is impossible with you. We think about you raising up those dry bones. What Ezekiel must have felt as he experienced that vision. And then begin to see it happen in the life of Israel. How Israel once again took back their land. Father, you remind us that you can take the spiritual dry bones. Those who have lost their love for you, their passion for doing your will in our churches. And Father, you can transform their lives. And raise up an army to tell our world that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you would raise up an army. That, Father, you would bring revival to the churches in our association. Father, as we come to a time of invitation, our invitation is your time to speak to our hearts and for us to make a commitment to you. For I ask this in Jesus' name, as God is speaking to you tonight, I don't believe that you're here by coincidence. I don't believe that Brother Duane asked me to preach tonight by coincidence. I don't believe that God laid this sermon on my heart by coincidence. He did that because we need to hear this sermon. He did that because at least one of us here needs to take it to heart because God is speaking to us about that. And right where you're sitting or in a minute where you'll stand, if God's speaking to you, will you make that commitment with him tonight, that covenant with him to do what he's called you to do? And if God is laying a decision on your heart that you need to share with the church family, Will you come and do that right now as we stand and sing? Would you stand?